Welcome to today's episode of the Scripture Study Project. Our podcast gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. Today is episode six of our season two. We're going to be studying Matthew 4, Luke 4, and 5. For those of you that are new to the podcast, we are, I just kind of thought maybe we should let people know that we have, you've noticed this is season two. We also have a season one that we recorded all last year. We have 50 episodes going through similar to what we're doing in this um, with the New Testament we did to the Book of Mormon last year. Um, I think we'll need to You'll have to excuse us for the sound quality on some of we're, some of the episodes, as we were novices. But we, we thought that recording in our somewhere I read that recording in your closet made for better sound quality. So we, we closed ourselves in our closet, and it got really warm. <laughs> and we had a microphone that we had bought, but it uh, <laughs> but we didn't know how to turn it on on our recording software. So we were still recording through our laptop speakers or our laptop microphone. So uh, it sounds like we're recording in a closet with a really bad microphone, but if you can understand us, that's what we did. We studied the it's Book of Mormon. It's not too bad, but yeah, I just thought that would, you know, we have a lot of new listeners this year with the new stuff, so just wanted to let you know about that. A lot of those episodes, uh, especially the early episodes, we began the episode with a study tip and then ended the episode with a teaching tip. As the series went on, we kind of molded those two together into a single study slash teaching tip at the beginning at the beginning of the episode. This season, we've decided to vary that beginning of the episode up a bit. So some weeks, like we did last week, we love to read some of the comments that are coming in to share what we're learning from others with others. Um, but this week and next week, we wanted to give a good old-fashioned study or teaching tip, or maybe better said, a teaching principle that... Uh, we're both really passionate about and that governs effective teaching, especially of youth and uh, children. So, yeah. And I think this, this originally, this has been an ongoing discussion between the two of us of, as we have really gotten into this um, new curriculum and specifically what got kind of clicked for me was when we were studying lesson one and we were in a, a class in our ward and our Sunday school president mentioned, um, that just that we're all capable learners. doesn't matter what age you are. Um, there's really no hierarchy when it comes to how the Spirit teaches us. Um, we're all striving for the same goal, to become like our Father in he heaven. And so as teachers or as leaders or as parents or as, you know, maybe you're studying in a group of people and you're the same age as as everyone else that you're studying with, everyone has access to the Holy Ghost. Everyone has access to the scriptures in the same way. Um, and especially as we're teaching, I want us to make clear to our quote unquote students. And to ourselves. Yeah, and to ourselves that believe that the capability of those you're teaching they can, you can come away from a lesson learning from them. It's possible. I think this is one of the most fundamental principles of effective teaching. If you do not believe that the person or the people that you are teaching are capable of learning, then you end up just lecturing them. And no one likes lecture. And it's not a very effective way to teach anyway. Yeah. And maybe we'll talk specifically about youth. But I think that's an important one is that they are very good 
at reading what you're asking them Mm -hmm. and being aware of how much you really trust them. So our questions, I mean, this, this is a guiding principle that can really shape not only the way you teach, but the way you interact and the questions that you ask to everyone, but I'm thinking specifically about the youth. It's the difference between opening up a block of scripture and asking your class, who's the speaker in verse one? What did they say? Questions that are really basic and that anyone can answer. And if you've ever had the experience of teaching teenagers, if you ask them those kinds of questions, there's a lot of frustration. I've heard teachers say this all the time. If I asked them really easy questions, the answers are right there in the scriptures and they won't answer them. And it's, they just don't want to talk. They just don't want to share. Well, of course they don't want to talk or share. Put yourself in their shoes. If you're in a gospel doctrine class and the teacher stands up and asks a really basic, obvious question, notice no one answers. It's not because they don't know it. And it's really not because they don't want to talk. It's because no one likes answering the dumb question. No one wants to be the one that gives the guess what's in my head answer. So don't ask them that question. Just tell them. Verse one, this is the person that's talking. This is what they're talking about. Does anyone have any questions on that? Okay, we're all clear. And then give them a question or a study that is worth their time and worth their merit. So here's here's the, the I don't know, the doctoral, the, the, the prophetic backing behind this. Uh, years and years ago, there was a famous talk given uh, to seminary institute teachers called the Charted Course of the Church in Education. It is the most famous education, uh, most famous talk in church education. Every uh, BYU teacher, seminary institute teacher knows this talk. They read it all the time. In this talk, President J. Ruben Clark says this, Our youth are not children spiritually. They are well on toward the normal spiritual maturity of the world. To treat them as children spiritually, as the world might treat the same age group, is therefore and likewise an anachronism. I say once more, there is scarcely a youth that comes through your seminary or institute or church doors or into your family um, who has not been the conscious beneficiary of spiritual blessings, who has not seen the efficacy of prayer, or who has not witnessed the power of faith to heal the sick, or who has not beheld spiritual outpourings of which the world at large is today ignorant. And then this, I love this. You do not have to sneak up behind this spiritually experienced youth and whisper religion in his ears. You can come right out face to face and talk with him. You do not need to disguise religious truths with a cloak of worldly things. You can bring these truths to him openly in their natural guise. Youth may prove to be not more fearful of them than you are. There is no need for gradual approaches, for bedtime stories, for coddling, for patronizing, or for any of the other childish devices used in efforts to reach those spiritually inexperienced uh, and all but spiritually dead. I love, and in fact have found incredible power in teaching from a perspective that those that I'm teaching are capable and incredibly spiritually gifted. Um, I, I often ask teachers this, if you were asked to teach, if, if President Nelson were to walk into your class and the rest of the first presidency in Quorum of the Twelve and they were to sit down, you would try and you know say, President Nelson, you take over the class. He says, no, 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 I want you to teach us. You teach us. Your Sunday school lesson, you teach us. If you had to teach prophets and apostles, how would you teach them? My guess is you wouldn't ask them duh questions. Uh, You wouldn't ask them obvious questions. You would want to know what those spiritually experienced prophets and apostles learned and feel and know about the scriptures. Think of what you'd ask President Nelson. President Nelson, 
from those first 10 verses, what is it that you like most? President Nelson, Why? tell me your testimony of the Savior. President Nelson, I mean, you'd want to know that. If you use those same kinds of questions or that same attitude towards children and towards youth, they come alive. They love to be respected. They love to be challenged. Um, I've been in a couple of Sunday school classes in our ward where we have these awesome teachers that ask youth these really just tough, meaningful spiritual questions, and our youth love it. They just come alive. I think the tricky part comes on the shift of because we are also our leaders and we are teachers and we want to be there to kind of help and guide them along their journey of learning and of becoming spiritual giants that they are. Um, So next week, we're going to continue to kind of explore this principle in our study tip next week um, and talk more about how we can be capable teachers. Mm. We're talking about these capable learners. So let's be capable teachers for them. So we're going to talk more about that next week. So as we dive into today's study, we're going to be mostly focusing on the temptations of Christ. And I will be honest, this study was hard for me this week. I... I kind of knew what we wanted to talk about. We had decided our plan, but I just couldn't quite get there. I couldn't quite get the meaning out of it that I wanted to for myself. And as I was in sacrament meeting today, I it kind of clicked for me that the temptations of Christ are so similar to the way that, that I am tempted. And that's where the power comes from these is as we can kind of liken them to what what we're feeling and for me I realized that a lot of the temptations that I feel don't come from outside sources they're not coming from other people I'm not asked to do crazy things very often but I realized that the way that I am most often tempted is through my own thoughts I'm being questioned about my worth I'm having questions about who I am. I'm having questions about how God sees me. And I'm realizing that um, we all put blocks on our spirituality, whether those are, maybe your temptations do come in those other forms where you're really having to battle peer pressure. And that is a real thing. Um, For me, I thought, I'm letting Satan in. I'm putting these blocks up on myself. And maybe I talked a little bit about this last week, but this is just further, kind of that further study for me of whoa, this is, I need to learn from these verses. This is what we can learn from what Jesus Christ did and what, from the temptations that he faced and then what he did to respond. So good. In fact, um, the first temptation I want to focus on is the first one in both Matthew and Luke that both of them list first, the temptation to turn stones into bread. But before I even start mine, what you're saying makes me think at the end of Uh, In both cases, the thing that Jesus just barely got done doing in both Matthew and Luke Mm. is being baptized. And at the end of baptism, at the end of the baptism, in Matthew it says, they hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved son. In Luke, though, Mm -hmm. the voice says, thou art my beloved son. Luke records it as if the Father is speaking directly to Christ and telling him, revealing to him his identity. Is it any wonder then that the very next thing that happens is that Satan comes and tries everything he can to interrupt that relationship. Jesus goes into the wilderness and fasts for 40 days. It's this incredible spiritual high in his life. And then Satan comes. And so what you're saying about temptation, that's, that 
whether it's through us or through others, through our thoughts or feelings or peer pressure, whatever it is, the goal is the same, to create a barrier between you and God. If I can disrupt your communication with him, if I can disrupt that message that he's trying to send to you, uh, then I can lessen or, or erase a spiritual experience or a spiritual highlight and cause some real damage. Right. And interesting, especially to think of that. I hadn't, you know, we talk a lot about the fast before, but thinking of this has been a serious spiritual high for mm-hmm. Jesus. And then here he is broadsided by, temptations. by yep. these temptations. Um, the first temptation to turn stones into bread was the one that caught my attention the most because I think this is one that happens to us a lot. Um, again, coming right off the heels of an incredible spiritual moment, Satan tries to get Jesus to, to focus instead of on the divine on the mundane. He tries to get Jesus to pay attention to his physical hunger and to satisfy that physical hunger with tangible uh, food. Um, Jesus has just spent 40 days deliberately avoiding food so that he can focus on the things of spiritual importance. And here Satan wants to divert that attention. And uh, I can't think of, of, a, of a temptation that's more prevalent in the world today than to pull people away from spiritual things and get them to focus on temporal, temporary, or mundane things. Um, scroll through Instagram, one swipe up of Instagram, and you get flooded with picture after picture of temporal, temporary, and even mundane things. Um, there's that you know, the predictive, the algorithms on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, they must know that I get drawn in by like dumb videos, like watch this video of this guy <laughs> blowing up this with a torch or, and so that's what it shows me. And so I'm, I fall very prey to this, that as soon as I open up Instagram, it's video after video of some dumb thing that's very temporary and very mundane and, and just dumb, but it's the same temptation. Turn these stones into bread. Focus on the temporal and the temporary. One of my favorite quotes is from uh, Elder Elder Scott, and I've probably said this in like four previous episodes, but I'll say it again. Elder Scott says that Satan has a powerful tool to use against good people. And I love against good people, not against bad people. This is his tool against good people. This is the temptation Satan uses against Jesus. Satan has a powerful tool to use against good people. It is distraction. He would have good people fill life with good things, so there is no room left for the essential ones. And then Elder Scott asks, have you unconsciously been caught in that trap? That's it. He would have good people fill their life with good things, with bread, with stones, with fun, goofy videos on Instagram, so that there's no room left for the essential ones. And isn't that the day we live in? Mm-hmm. I mean, not even talking social media. We have, that's a whole other beast, right? But, um, we have a lot of distractions today yeah. and we need, to, and that's, that's just huge. So I think that's a painful one. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. That's when we're all dealing with in whatever form that comes. Um, another interesting thing that happens in this instance is, um, Satan is using scripture. He says here, Luke four ten, for it is written. He shall give us charge, mm-hmm. angels charge over thee to keep thee and in their hands. And I just find that interesting that here he is using this, what would you call it? It's almost as if he's trying to give Jesus a, like a justification for sin. Yeah. I'm, I'm quoting a go. scripture to you so that you're justified. So it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I think that, that he probably does a lot, does that a lot to us as well, right? Trying to give us a justification or a reason for doing something that we know we shouldn't do or not doing something we know we should do. Yeah, and then we see the next the next one is just he just straight up lies in the next thing that he says. If thou shalt this is um verse seven in Luke four, if thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Well it's not his to give away in the mm-hmm. first place. So that I mean, how often does that happen too? We where things that we know are wrong we know that they're wrong. They look wrong, but we can see that they're promises that aren't going to be kept. This is the better way. This is those, ah, what am I, what am I looking for? I guess it's that, um, I'm thinking of a really dumb thing. The Mormon ad that has the, um, oh, that's about movies, I guess. The Mormon oh, ad the that has a little cockroach coming no, out of exactly it. exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> this is good. This is good. A little lies. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking even of what you said at the beginning of how Satan attacks us through our thoughts and our feelings, um, where you think something about yourself that you know isn't wrong. You go to, you, you know, from your scripture study that you are of divine worth and that you're a son or a daughter of God and that you have this. And yet you're labeling yourself, you're talking to yourself in this negative way that you know isn't right logically, but you're starting to believe with your heart. I must be this kind of a person because of this, or I must think I must be this because I'm feeling this or and it's the exact same thing, Satan trying to get at you by either lying to you or trying to create a justification that you know isn't right. Yeah. But... And that slowly, even those come in very slowly of the, mm-hmm. at first, maybe you'll just believe a little bit, but then as you allow room for him or create those barriers to come up more, then, then they do feel like a straight up lie, like he says yeah. here. I'm going to give you everything, even though it's not mine to give. The something that catches my attention every time I read this story is, and this sounds bad, but I listen to these temptations and I think Satan's an idiot. Like none of these are going to work. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? Throw yourself off a building and the angel will catch you. Those sound like the most idiotic temptations that anyone has ever given anyone, right? I would say no to those. So why is Satan using such dumb temptations against Jesus? Um, I I think it was in this talk from President McKay that we'll put in our show notes that's referenced by President Hunter, which we'll also put in our show notes. There's going to be like six talks in the show notes. <laughs> I think it was in there and it might have been somewhere else. But somewhere, someone pointed out to me the two-letter word that shows up at the beginning of each of Satan's temptations. I'll read to you uh, th- his temptations and you can listen for the word. This is Luke 4, verse 3. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God command this stone that it be made bread. Verse, verses six and seven. The devil said unto him, all this power will I give thee in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And then the last one, verse nine, he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down from hence. I hadn't ever noticed that until that was pointed out to me, that Satan's temptations each begin with that little dangerous two-letter word. And it made me wonder, is Satan really trying to get Jesus to turn stones into bread or to throw himself off of a building? Or is he trying to get Jesus to doubt his divine identity? The chapter before, he's just been told that he's the Son of God. And here Satan comes saying, if you were really the Son of God, then this. If you were really the son of God than that. And how often does he use that against us? If you were really a son or a daughter of God, if you were really as good as everyone says you are, 
then you wouldn't be doing this or you would be doing this or you would do this. That's a really great way to, if we're talking those barricades that we build up, that's a really great way to put some solid bricks on there. And another layer of bricks is if you're already doubting yourself a little, or if you're already feeling weighed down because you made a small mistake, let's go make some more because you're not mm. worth it anyway. And that's a, a very familiar feeling to all of us that if eh, I did one thing wrong, I'm I'm not I'm worthless now. How quickly we can spiral into those thoughts when we when we use the if. Well, if I I must really not be that. Yeah. Cuz I did this one wrong thing. I was in a young women's class this last Sunday and uh the young woman that was teaching was talking about the challenges that come at the young women, the peer pressure and the temptations that make their life hard from their friends. And I I asked the question to the young women, do you feel like most of your stress and worry in life comes from outside sources, from people trying to get you to smoke or slough school or whatever? Or do you feel like it's coming from inside? Two of the girls said outside, definitely outside. But there were four girls that didn't say anything <laughs> until I asked them individually. And one of them said, it's absolutely inside. And then the other three nodded. Um, and as I asked them to elaborate on a little bit, they talked about how the battles that they're facing most in their lives aren't with friends or aren't with schoolmates or it's from inside. It's the way they think and feel about themselves. And this is exactly what Satan is doing to Jesus. If you're really the son of God, again, it's that internal wrestle. So what do you do to fight back? What does the savior do to respond to these temptations? And what can we do? You know, my favorite one of all, and maybe it's because we have a podcast on scriptures, <laughs> but my favorite one of all is Jesus answered him saying, it is written. Every response that Jesus comes back with, every temptation, he is he quotes a scripture. We see it three times, mm -hmm. for it is written. Um, he, that's the first ones in verse four. Again, in verse eight, and Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Ooh, that's a, that's a powerful scripture. Mm -hmm. Get get behind me. Early scripture mastery. <laughs> yeah, that's true, huh? For it is written. We see all of these Jesus using scriptures. He is pulling from previous experience he has had with God's word. And he is using it, even though he's the son. I think this is a powerful experience think a powerful lesson for us to learn from from the savior he knows the scriptures and he knows the power in them and he is going to take that power and use it against an enemy and you were in, you were going to say this that even though he's the son of god even though this is jesus the savior of the world he, he still uses scripture. he writes his own scripture yeah. <laughs> right but he knows the power that comes from um from the prophets of god and I think it's important to know this is these aren't From just the written word. Yeah, it's not just scriptures that he's quoting them. They're mm -hmm. scriptures that Jesus knows and has internalized to the depth that he knows what they mean to him. He knows that the scripture about thou shalt worship only the Lord God, he knows that that applies to him and that there's nothing in his life that can go astray in worshiping anyone else. A great lesson for us. And you were saying that these scriptures all come from the same. They all come from the book of Deuteronomy, which is a book of covenants. So they're not just scriptures, they're covenant scriptures. It's a book about our promises with God and his promises with us. And so uh, as far as a book of scripture to quote from, this is a pretty powerful book. Um, 
what I find is interesting is Satan comes with that first temptation. I want you to fill your physical belly with physical bread. And Jesus's subtle response is, I don't need that physical bread. I have this spiritual bread. Very similar to what he says to the woman at the well, right? If you knew what bread I had to offer you, you'd ask me. This uh, is, I think, Jesus's response to Satan, but also maybe a subtle teaching to us that our response to trials and temptations, even the physical and the painful ones, is to turn to sources of spiritual strength over maybe sources of physical strength. Yeah. The response that I like the most is in the second part of Luke chapter 4. I love these verses. Jesus goes to Nazareth and, as his custom, is allowed to read in the synagogue. And he chooses to read this. This is Luke 4, starting in verse 16. I'm going to read in verse 17. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back, sits down, and then tells them, this day, this is verse 21, is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. Um, these scriptures are messianic scriptures. It's Isaiah prophesying about a future Messiah. And here's Jesus standing up saying these scriptures from his own voice, from his own perspective, and then telling the listening audience, essentially, I am the one that Isaiah was prophesied, uh, that Isaiah prophesied about. And the reason I love that is Satan comes tempting him with all these ifs and with all these mental and emotional battles. And Satan's re or Jesus's response is to reassert his identity, to go back to the scriptures. In this case, it's kind of scripture slash patriarchal blessing even, and to assert his identity as the one who is to preach deliverance to the captives and to heal and to bless. He is the savior. And I think we can do that same thing in turning to the scriptures and turning to our patriarchal blessings and turning to trusted friends, people that know us, and reasserting our identity that we are of worth and that we are divinely chosen for what we're doing in life. And as we've talked in some of these other episodes of, you know, really remembering and pondering on and really internalizing and writing down these these powerful experiences that we have so that when the dark darkness come or the temptations come that we can gain strength from these, who calls them spiritual reservoirs? Is that Elder Bednar? Elder Bednar, yeah. That we have these places that we can remember and feel the strength from those experiences that we have like Jesus did you know like we were saying he had these he had just been heard the voice from heaven after his baptism he'd been fasting and felt very close to the to his father and then this comes and we can do the same thing remember mm. those experiences you have to close at the end of Luke we'll talk more about this when we get to the lesson with Mark because um, Mark does a little bit better job of putting these miracles in line. But Luke points something out. As Jesus goes in the end of Luke chapter 4 and starts performing miracles, he has two places where he casts out evil spirits. It's interesting what these evil spirits say to Jesus. This is verses 33 and 34. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, 
the Holy One of God. That's verse 34. Then verse 41. And the devils also came out of the man. This is a different, uh, different moment. Crying and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. Interesting that while Satan's temptations are to get Jesus to forget or to doubt who he is, even these evil spirits have to proclaim that Jesus is the Christ. Luke ends by asserting again who this Savior is. And I think the lesson for us in following the Savior is to become, if we're not already, but to become crystal clear in what our identity is and to hold on to that through scripture study, through good associations, through prayer and fasting, uh, through temptations. And, and when through those our t- covenants and through remembering those promises that we've made and the promises that are sure to come back to us that God has made with us. I am convinced that God loves us and that one of the things that's most important to him is that we know and that we remember constantly who we are and why we are worth the effort and the time that he gives us. And if you have a doubt of that, then your homework assignment this week is to find it, study it, read it, pray about it, write it down, figure out why it is that you're so valuable, and then hold on to that in times of temptation. We hope this is the beginning to learn or... Maybe it's the middle or the end to a great study for you in these awesome chapters this week. Thank you for studying with us. Thank you for being here. And we hope and we wish you a very great week. Thanks.